The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation's state. Thanks for listening today. We have a great guest, Reed McCollum, with the Progressive Turnout Project. We're certainly getting the swing of election season, and I get a lot of questions about what the best strategies are for voter turnout, voter contact, and it's certainly a topic that we've talked about a lot on the show. But I wanted to have Reed on because the Progressive Turnout Project is working on some unusual things that I think you probably haven't heard about before that are having a big impact on getting the vote out. And uh, I, I think you're going to find this stuff somewhat novel, somewhat traditional, but really interesting. And uh, Reed's, Reed's been one of the leaders and pioneer in some of these techniques. So stay with us. Reed McCollum with the Progressive Turnout Project. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cannabis Enlightened. My name is Leroy Brady. I'm a PhD, a business professor. Students want to know more about cannabis. What's cannabis about? How it's grown? What are the properties of cannabis? Is it safe? Yes, there is a business. There is a pathway through cannabis to really be successful. I've had academic people on the show who teach different phases of cannabis. And most recently, I've had scientists on CannabisEnlightened.com. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Reed, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thank you. So before we get into what you're working on specifically, could you tell us about your organization and generally what you focus on? So Progressive Turnout Project um, is actually the largest voter contact organization in the country, and it reaches out and makes sure that we can rally Democrats to vote uh, ahead of elections, primarily federal elections. Uh, But last year, for example, we uh, worked to increase turnout in Virginia and New Jersey as well. So are you part of the party or super PAC side, or how should we think about this? We're outside of the party, but we do coordinate and sort of work to elect Democrats. We're very sort of partisan in that way. Uh, We have a super PAC, 501c4, sort of an umbrella of the different types of political organizations. Great. Okay. So I want to ask you, before we talk about the specific project, because that was really interesting um, that you're working on, I want to ask you generally what's going on with voter turnout across the country. We've seen all kinds of voter suppression bills popping up since the 2020 election. Um, we've seen some states going in the right direction. What's your sense of where we are? That's a great question. There are absolutely a lot of states, you know, red states that are passing voter suppression laws. There are robust efforts to counter those. Uh, We are not part of that, but you do see, you know, it starts with legal efforts, uh, federal federal efforts to enforce the Voting Rights Act, uh, efforts within the states, you know, then you have efforts to sort of educate voters on the ground um, to counter some of those direct measures. And that often is handled by uh, organizations at the state or regional or even local level that can that can deal with those, because obviously those are 
um, you know, often state laws that, that sort of need state level responses to, to sort of counter them. So is your focus then for the upcoming cycle primarily on congressional races, I assume? We are focused primarily actually on Senate races, but oh. also congressional races. And some of our programming extends into state ledge uh, races as well and gubernatorials. So it's, it pretty much covers, covers the gambit. Okay, so um, I'm going to take this a little out of order and ask you about the congressional races. Uh, now, e- even though we're based in California here with our show, people tend seem to think, ah, you never need to worry about California. But I actually think we probably have more competitive congressional races in the next cycle than any other state. And they're all sort of in a geographic cluster too in the kind of Orange County, Southern California media markets, which I think makes it even more important in some ways, because you know, there's just going to be a ton of money spent on both sides on those. So are, are those on your radar? Is that some of what you're thinking about in terms of the next cycle? Yeah, it very much is. And I, I think that's probably a good segue just to give you a quick sense of what progressive turnout projects sort of overall programs are. So yeah, sure. the, the origin historically, it's a, it's a lot of what's called sort of paid field. So paying people to knock doors, have conversations with voters. Um, one of the ways that we'll do that this year is through a distributed program where we can leverage people that are willing to, um, to do that, you know, part-time or full-time ahead of the election, sort of starting this summer. That'll include congressional races, including, um, you know, many across the country, especially in, in states that also have highly competitive Senate races. We also have a fellowship program where we essentially pay a staff person to be embedded on a campaign um, which is a great way to make sure that the dollars just don't immediately go up on TV for, you know, consultants and, you know, TV ads are fine as well, but it's a great way to sort of focus it on direct voter contact, which is our emphasis. Uh, we'll have a program called Community Mobilizers, which is a way for people to um, engage people in their network in these target areas and ask them to vote. Uh, and then the program that I lead, which is Postcards to Swing States, which leverages volunteers all over the country to write postcards and send them to voters sort of in key areas. So the geography of where we're doing those programs sort of varies program to program. Most of our efforts are concentrated in states that have highly competitive Senate races, but some of those programs extend to competitive house races, uh, state-led races, gubernatorials across the country as well. Great, so let's talk about your program. Um, What are the Senate races that you're mostly focused on? So we're primarily focused on seven Senate races, and um, you can break them into a couple different categories if you want. So Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, and Nevada are four key Senate races that are all extremely competitive where there's a Democrat incumbent that we need to defend. Um, Two additional states, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, are the most likely pickup opportunities. We're focused on, on those two states as well. Biden won both of them, obviously not by huge margins. Um, Ron Johnson's running for election. Pennsylvania is an open race. So we're we're focused on those general elections. And then we're also focused on North Carolina where there's a strong democratic candidate, uh, an opportunity to pick that up. So those are the seven states that we're focused on right now. Uh, We might add additional states sort of, you know, later in the year as we sort of take a look at the, the Senate map and as that might change. And then are there additional states that you're focused on that don't have a competitive Senate race? Uh, there are a lot of states where we're going to have fellows embedded on state races, federal races. I don't have the exact list, but it, it is many states. 
those seven states are the same states that were focused on for postcards. And the uh, most likely thing that will expand our postcard program to our competitive house races. If, if, if we do that, we'll expand it to most of the competitive house races across the country. Um, but that's still something that we're taking a look at and aim to decide sort of later in the year. Gotcha. All right. So explain how the postcard program works for listeners. So the postcard program, we, you know, volunteers have been writing postcards for years, but it really ramped up after uh, the election of Donald Trump was sort of the resistance, indivisible, adjacent sort of activism groups. Um, I actually started the program called Postcard to Swing States in, in my garage as a volunteer in 2019 nice. um, at the end of the year. And in 2020, uh, obviously the presidential election year, we, we got volunteers to write 21 million handwritten postcards to voters just over the course of that year. Uh, we quickly outgrew my garage. We got a lot of support from Progressive Turnout Project. Uh, we were working with Indivisible Chicago Alliance and their 501c4 as part of that. Um, and now that program is, is part of Progressive Turnout Project. But we print and mail postcards to volunteers across the country for free. They provide the stamps. We give them the script to write. We tell them when to mail the postcards and we give them a list of voters that they address the postcards to that they mail usually within the final weeks before the election. So you basically can write postcards at home no matter where you live in the country for months in between things while the, well, you know, while you're watching Rachel Maddow, while you're um, in between sort of making dinner and helping the kids with homework. And then you drop them all in the mailbox um, at the right time, usually in October ahead of the election, they go to voters and they encourage democratic voters to, to actually, you know, vote for important elections. Okay, so a couple of things I wanna ask you about there. One is, um, do you think people see their mail these days? I mean, I, I get a lot of junk mail that never makes it in the house, get a lot of campaign flyers around election season. Um, wh why, do you, why do you think this is the right place to focus? That's a great question. So really, I'll, you know, I'll answer the question, do postcards work? How do we know postcards work? There's so much mail that, that sort of voters get. Uh, we've done numerous what are called randomized controlled experiments where we send postcards to a specific number of voters. Um, there are a, an identical group of voters we call the control group that don't receive postcards from us. So it's the same methodology that will be used for like a pharmaceutical trial or for the COVID vaccine where you can with statistical river determine the effect of whatever it is you're doing. In our case, the treatment is sending two postcards to registered voters to ask them to vote. Um, the outcome's really easy to see is did they vote or did they not vote? So we've done numerous randomized controlled experiments. Other organizations have done experiments with handwritten postcards and letters. And frankly, all forms of just voter mobilization have been pretty regularly tested with randomized controlled experiments. We know how effective those, those tactics are, how they compare to one another. Um, we test specific messages with postcards, the timing, how many postcards they get. Uh, and the punchline is postcards do work. They work um, in a way that's more cost effective than most forms of voter contact. Uh, one of the reasons is that most of them do actually get received by voters. They look at them, you know, not for long. They end up in the recycle bin pretty quick, um, but they do actually help increase turnout. Why do you think that is? What, what do you think is different about getting a postcard versus all the other ways that we communicate in campaigns? The postcards are somewhat comparable to all the ways that we contact voters. I mean, I think, you know, it's often door-to-door door uh, door -door canvassing or having conversations with voters that's considered sort of the, the most effective. 
Um, it is when you actually have that conversation, you know, the, the contact rate is sort of a big variable in terms of when you think about how effective different tactics are. So if you think about a phone bank, you might call, you know, 100 people and you might have four conversations. So um, if, you're, if you're going out and you're knocking doors, having conversations with voters, you know, maybe 20 to 25% of them answer the door. Um, with mail, there's a much, much higher contact rate. Like people do look at that. So for, for mobilization, um, you know, that, that ends up sort of bringing those tactics closer in line with parity. One of the advantages of postcards is that because volunteers provide the stamps, they're just massively more cost-effective than other tactics um, because it's, it's really crowdsourcing most of the expense to sort of deliver that postcard to voters. Sure. Any sense of how the, the impact is used, you sort of alluded to this compared to things like an advertisement in, in terms of the, the impact? Yeah, the, the way to sort of evaluate success kind of depends on what your goals are. One of the advantages with advertising is you can scale that up to millions of voters very, very quickly. And we know advertising is effective. Um, cost effectiveness can be wildly based on sort of when you buy those ads, um, what's the TV market saturation. So often, you know, I live outside of Chicago and Chicago media market, if you're talking about a particular congressional race, you know, buying ads for millions of dollars that the viewing area has to see can be extremely expensive, but it's a quick way if you have resources to make sure that, that many, many voters um, you know, know who you are and your message. So both for increasing turnout and for persuasion, those those tactics can be effective. Um, in terms of cost effectiveness, that might be something that, that that's sort of interesting, that's useful in terms of how you define success for a, for a program as well. Gotcha. Um, so one of the things I wanna ask you about, we've talked about this on the show before is, uh, how do you know that the, uh, postcards are getting to the right addresses. And the reason I ask is we've seen just a huge degradation in the quality of the voter file data. Um, and we had, uh, I think Chuck Roca on the show talking about this a, a few weeks ago. Some tests would indicate 40, at least 40% of the voter file data is just wrong. It has voter file, voters at the wrong addresses, that number's even higher in communities of color, which are typically going to skew more democratic. So have you thought about this issue and, and how do you sort of account for it in your program? That's a great question. The, you know, the target list that we use is, isn't going to be any better than the voter file. There are methodologies to uh, exclude addresses that you think have a really low deliverability score. Um, we don't try to exclude those too aggressively because you're you then become likely to leave out younger voters communities of color um you know and that's an issue of, of equity is making sure that we don't only target voters that you know are people that haven't moved in 15 years um i don't believe that the data in the file is so bad that we're missing most or even a like really a significant chunk of voters that hasn't been our experience. Um, we don't actually put return addresses on ours to sort of have them come back to update that because that would be a gargantuan effort when we're sending out tens of millions of postcards. Um, we know that the postcards are effective because we can see the increase in turnout as a result of them. And you know, there's some drop off in terms of volunteers that actually don't end up writing the postcards and mailing them. And then there's some drop off in terms of deliverability. Um, and we do see that postcards are slightly less effective with younger voters. And I think that is more based on deliverability 
um, because they're they're less likely to be at a fixed address for for you know long enough and updating their voter registration if if they move. So so what would you say to somebody from California who we're, we're, we're not a swing state, but we have a lot of swing congressional districts and important statewide races, important municipal races, important ballot initiatives. Um, what, would, what would you say to somebody in California who's interested in, in getting involved? You, you think um, their time is well spent maybe sending a postcard to Nevada or maybe focusing on one of those those California congressional races? Yeah, one of my favorite questions is, where can an hour of activism go the farthest and should we focus on sort of this race for that race? And the first thing I, I like to start with is to just um, break down the framework that it's sort of a zero, zero sum. Um, most people, when they get involved in volunteering and helping a candidate or, or helping sort of an issue, they're more likely, not less likely to do other things as well. So that's one way that I see postcards fitting is it's a great gateway to activism. It helps recruit more people to activism um, because they're so easy to fit into little pockets of time. Uh, remote activism is also a huge advantage of postcards. If you're really, really focused on making sure that Ron Johnson loses re-election in Wisconsin and you live in California, postcards are one of the best ways to do that. Um, if you live in a contested congressional race in California, for example, um, you can be most effective by encouraging people in your network, people that you know who might not be reliable voters to vote. And that can include your Aunt Martha, who is an independent voter, um, to vote for Katie Porter. It can be making sure that your brother John doesn't just say he's voting, but actually goes out and votes. Um, so, you, you know, the data prove that we have the most influence over people in our network. Second to that, um, you know, if, if you only have two hours to do something, I'd encourage people if they live in a, in a area where they can impact a race is, is to knock doors, um, to volunteer directly for campaigns, to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with voters. Uh, none of that precludes you from then writing postcards to Nevada uh, which you usually are doing at different different times of the day. Like most people aren't sitting down at Saturday, you know, on Saturday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. writing three hours of postcards. They're doing it in the evening on weeknights, in between things, watching TV. Like I said before, so um, you know that that's sort of the landscape that I like to provide in terms of, of how those tactics can can work together and and how to sort of decide what to pick. A good example. I actually happen to have real doubts about whether my brother actually votes and he's in Pennsylvania. So I'll, I'll take that to heart. Um, okay. So if you're sending a postcard to Nevada from California, does it say that you're from California? Is, is that, is that going to be clear to the voter? The only thing that would tip off a voter that the person that wrote the card to them is in Nevada is the postmark. Okay. And there's very little, there actually is a non-zero amount of evidence that that can make a difference, but I'm, I'm fairly skeptical. We do know that out-of-state voter contact is extremely effective. And so um, we don't encourage people to try to, you know, mail the cards to somebody that they know in Nevada to sort of trick voters to think, you know, it's like if a postcard convinces somebody that wasn't going to vote to vote, because we wrote them a postcard, they would then have to sort of see the postmark, see that you're from California and say, you know, I was going to vote because you sent me a postcard. But now that I know that you're in California, no, I'm still not going to vote. It's just not super plausible um, to me, at least. And that's an opinion. Are the Republicans doing this? I don't know whether they are doing postcards with volunteers in some capacity. They, to my knowledge, do not have any large programs. I mean, we, we've sent 29 million postcards since 2020. Vote Forward, which writes letters, has done 
you know, 25 million, I think, letters, there's nothing nearly to that scale, uh, you know, that, that Republicans are doing to increase turnout amongst their voters. Okay, so um, if somebody's listening to this who's maybe like a, a municipal candidate or a legislative candidate and part of their campaign budget goes to mail, I'm curious what your advice to them would be on how you might compare the impact of postcards versus direct mail, given that, it, it, and let's assume for the sake of argument the can, that the campaign has to pay for the stamps in, in both cases. Do, do, do you think those two are marketably different in terms of the impact that they might have? It, let's just assume for the sake of argument costs being equal. If the campaign for a local candidate is paying for the stamps, I would not encourage them to do postcards. Um, even if they are asking volunteers to provide the postage, it becomes a more cost-effective version of direct mail. I think handwritten postcards are more effective, but because volunteers might write in cursive, there's lower compliance, they might not mail them at the right time. There isn't much evidence that handwritten postcards end up increasing turnout more than other forms of mail. They're also usually smaller than a mail piece might be. So it is not something that I would really recommend for local candidates, especially because their volunteers largely come from that immediate area. And in that sort of scenario, um, you know, it's a widely held belief that you'd be better off asking your volunteers to, to have conversations with voters, to knock doors, help deliver yard signs, host a meet and greet. And while postcards are really effective at recruiting new volunteers, we don't want them to become an excuse not to do other forms of activism on the ground that, that campaigns, especially um, smaller campaigns, really need resources. There's a fixed cost to getting a postcard program off the ground as well, and it can become a distraction. If you're only going to have people write 5,000 postcards for your entire mayoral race, um, that's, that's probably just not worth it, rather than having a consultant sort of help you with a, with a great mail piece that then you can continue running your campaign without worrying about. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so um, let's say somebody says, hey, this sounds like a great idea. I definitely want to have an impact on swing states, but I have terrible handwriting or I don't like the idea of writing. Generally, it's just too tiring. Uh, what other programs should they be thinking about if they want to have an impact in swing states? Well, that's it's such a great question. I mean, I think anything where you're having conversations with voters is going to be really effective. So if, if, if you don't wanna just sort of, you know, donate money and you wanna volunteer your time, you know, phone banks or remote activism, um, you know, having those conversations with voters is something that is a turn off to a lot of people because it feels like it's gonna be awkward to have a conversation. You know, I, I actually, I love canvassing and having conversations with voters more than anything else in politics. Like I, I got sort of started as a grassroots organizer in 2018 when we, help flip a congressional district that I'm in and I would, you know, lie and make excuses to avoid meetings to go have conversations at the doors. Um, because when you change somebody's mind or you convince them to vote, you can see it. And just that knowing that you're having an impact is just such a positive, like, you know, rush of adrenaline and, and sort of feeling like your activism is, is making a difference. So uh, I encourage people to give give it a chance of having conversations with voters, whether you're phone banking or, or knocking doors, you know, everybody loves getting exercise outside, especially if they're in California and, you know, walking around your neighborhood or a different neighborhood, knocking doors and, and uh, having those conversations might be a lot more fun than, than you, than you think it is. Great. So how do you recruit people for this program? Is, is this kind of organic or do, do you actually go out and recruit volunteers? For them? In 2020, when we started, Postcards of Swing States, um, it, it grew virally 
and sort of uncontrollably, we didn't spend a single dollar on paid promotion. We, we announced it to maybe a couple hundred people that had done postcards as part of the congressional sort of effort that I was involved in. It, it, it just spread like wildfire on social media and Facebook, Twitter. Um, people who ordered postcards told friends where they can get postcards. We were mailing them for free and, and it just grew. It's essentially sort of the same model at this point is we, we don't pay anything for, for, for advertising and postcards that are that much of a gateway to activism that, um, that people tell their friends that they're doing them. We just try to make it easy to, to provide such a great volunteer experience um, so that they want to order more postcards and, and, and spread the word. Right. Well, if people want to find out more about the program, get involved, obviously volunteer, where can they find you? Yeah. So like I said, we're part of Progressive Turnout Project, but uh, mm -hmm. our website is postcards2swingstates.com. And um, you can see the programs that we have up. Uh, we have two postcard programs that are, that are active right now, um, targeting some of those early Senate, straits, Senate states. And, uh, and we'll have a, a much larger program that launches in the middle of May that will be the program for November where, where volunteers will sign up, we'll mail them free postcards. They can write those postcards all the way through the year until early October and then late October and then mail them on the date that we instruct um, to voters all across the country. They get to pick the state. Great. So what are the two states you have going now? Uh, right now it's Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, and Nevada. So okay. our first program um, targets those four. We have a small program for the Pennsylvania Senate primary as well, just to increase Democratic turnout in that primary election. Uh, we're doing an experiment to test three different messages in that program uh, in partnership with communications guru Anat Shinker Osorio. And we're excited to do that. That's one thing we always do is we measure the effectiveness of, uh, of our program so that we can refine it and continue to innovate. Well, Reed, th uh, thanks for what you're doing. I think this, I, I, we, we get into a lot of uh, sort of high-tech digital concepts on the show. And I thought it was really good to have so, sort of a more grassroots um, balance to the conversation here because this stuff still has an impact as well. And I think it's an innovative way that you're applying it. So um, thanks for doing what you're doing. And, uh, and ho hopefully listeners out there, if this at all sounds appealing to you, if you don't win one of those competitive California congressional races, I know a lot of people do, but for those of you who don't, definitely think about getting involved in this program. And, uh, and we, we, we'll, we'll make sure we post all the links that we just gave us in the show notes. So thanks for being on the show, Reed. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at neptuneops.com or on Twitter at at nationstateofp1. Again, that's at Nation State of P and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, exploring the inside political stories driving public policy in California. Powered by Neptune Ops and presented by IVC Media. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening.